0: Everyone, I'm Natasha Ryan. I'm the VP of Communications for the North Group, and it is time to head north. This is our podcast where we tackle a lot of big, big topics. Today, we are doing that with my friend Olivia Arnott's partner of Project ZF. Olivia, you and I have talked multiple times. I adore your mission and what you're doing. So, if you want to just give a brief bio, and then we will dive into it, girlfriend.
1: Perfect. Um, Thank you for having me. I am very excited to talk about this. Um, Just before I jumped on, I was scrolling through some of your previous podcasts. And like you said, it really is the heavy hitting important topics that you guys jump into. So I'm excited to talk a little bit more. But um, like you said, my name is Olivia Arnox. I'm a partner of Project ZF, uh, which is made up of ZFIS, our protective intelligence business. Uh, The ZF Tactical Training Center and Leadership Development aspect, which is still in development. And then the Relentless Revival Safe Haven, which is our nonprofit, um, which seeks to provide a long-term restorative care program to survivors of human trafficking. Um, So my husband and I are partners in that. I say he's my partner in life and business.
0: (laughs) That's nice. That's nice to have. Double partner. Absolutely. Okay, so Olivia, we are here today to talk about human trafficking your efforts to fight against it. But I think jumping off, it's so personal to you and that's where the story begins. So I want you to talk a little bit about your personal trauma and how that has led your purpose in life. Okay,
1: okay. Yes, as, um, as you know, it's still a little bit new uh, to share, but I think once we became really public about the nonprofit, that's a question I get asked almost all of the time is, where is this coming from? Where's your heart coming from? Um, people want to know, you know, why you're in the restorative care process, why you want to be with vulnerable people. And, um, I think people don't realize what they're looking at when they deal with me and kind of what I've been through. So I'm excited to share a little bit more and kind of start connecting with people who may have experienced what I did, or maybe their child is experiencing it, things like that, where I can actually help connect. And like we talked about before, maybe prevent or even protect our underage youth. And so my story is uh, growing up in the world's teeniest, tiniest town, and um, I unfortunately was targeted through Facebook um, by an online you know, adult predator who had many other victims. I was uh, one of a bunch, unfortunately, um, and so that led to years of grooming uh, and eventually physical, sexual, and emotional abuse, and when I was about 15... One of his other victims spoke up. Um, I always tell her and everybody that she saved our lives. Uh, I really give her that that credit wholeheartedly. She won't accept it, but she wrote out a list of all of the girls she knew he was abusing and and submitted that to the police. And so they jumped in, came to my house. My parents had never heard of any of it. And so it was really a, a big shocking moment for them to realize what I had been going through Um, And to realize, you know, some some things started to kind of make sense for them. um, Where I'd had some issues, obviously, and and I was uh, deeply emotionally impacted, and um, just I was I was not myself. I was really controlled by this whole situation. And so, I lived on a borderline state, borderline, and I didn't know the criminal justice system like most of our young, you know, under you know young girls who are vulnerable and victimized. Um, And so I went to the wrong state to testify um, with the other girls. I did my Impact statements and my forensic interviews. And then they said, if you want this to count, you've got to do this again in your own state. Um, And they said it wouldn't count against him unless I did. And so at that time, I was so broken. The girls were so broken. You know, they all allowed him to take plea deals because we were all 14, 15, and just, um, you know, couldn't deal with the pain of it. And so I moved on with my life. I I joined the army at 17. I left, I never came back. And I really just started a new life for myself and I never told my story again. And I got married and I had two beautiful babies and transitioned out of the military and into corporate security and things like that. And then out of the blue, 10 years after the fact, this comes up again. And my husband gets a call out of the blue on like a Tuesday afternoon that this man was going to be extradited to the state that I grew up in instead of being released after his 10-year sentence for the other victims. And so... They said at that time, if you testify, he may get time. We might get lucky. And if you don't, he will walk out on untr- time served. Um, and so to be honest with you, again, I'm standing in my kitchen looking at my babies and my husband, and I just said, well, get away from me. I don't want to deal with this. And yeah. it just felt like a bet punch. Um, absolutely. And the thing was, I called his other victims, and I looked at what he had done and what he got away with, and it just ate me up. Um, most of them didn't get out at 17, and so they're still struggling with what we all went through when they didn't get a ticket out of town. Um, And so I decided to testify. I spent every 30 days for 18 months um, staring at his ugly mug and listening to him deflect and deny and no remorse, um, no change after 10 years in a prison. And I wanted to forgive him and and he just made it impossible. Um, So he was eventually sentenced. um, April 1st of last year, he went to prison And then I went about my merry way and I um, tried to heal and and close doors that I had, you know, meagerly duct taped shut at 14. And now I really needed to deal with the effects of that. But he came back (laughs) into my life about a month ago, you know, fighting clerical errors. And it's just this uh, never ending, I I call it intentional torture where, you know, it's, uh, we jokingly say, we're like, what is he getting out of this other than the Burger King meal on the way to his hearing? You know, um, but he's dragging me into it. And so, it's still a current issue for me. And um, I think I shared a little bit right before we jumped on where I put myself in so many vulnerable positions because of this trauma, because of this pain and emptiness that I, you know, I was just lucky not to be trafficked. I was lucky to not end up um, in, you know, much more severe or even dangerous situations because I think back and it just makes me catch my breath about, oh my gosh, what was I doing at 16, 17 talking to these people or doing these things? And so now, I want to be the hand in the darkness that reaches into these ladies' lives and says, well, yeah, there actually are resources, and, you know, there is hope, and, and if I can do it, you can do it, and I'm living proof that you can overcome and create something that that is what you dream of. You know, nothing, nothing can stop you, and so I think I really think it's about showing other women that they can do what they want and there is resources and people who care um, because, as you know, a lot of the times the women who really need the help they're not asking out. They're not trying to get, no, they're not getting they don't it. think they're worthy. They don't think that they deserve it. And so it's like, I want to stream from the rooftops, like really ladies, if I can do it, you can. And um, so that's my story. And like I said, I'm still new to sharing. So <laughs> thank you for asking.
0: Well, first
1: and foremost, thank you
0: for doing the brave thing because anyone that's been through trauma, can understand how even hearing someone's name, let alone having to see them at repeated absolutely. court hearings, uh rescheduled court hearings, arranging your life around someone that did this to you is so triggering and so traumatic
1: absolutely. that you are
0: having to continue to relive this, you know,
1: yeah, almost over absolutely. a decade later. Yeah. I mean and- it gives me thirty days between hearings, just long enough to feel a little bit better, and then bam, it happens again. And and you're absolutely right that it, it's a it's been a struggle. And and in a lot of the hearings, I hear myself turn into 14-year-old Olivia where I, I respond in ways that you know are just because I, I feel you know affected by the presence and just by the conversation. Sure. Um, but I'm learning that anger is a really good way to get out of that because if you can actually you know, get mad and, and say this shouldn't have been done yeah. to me and I didn't deserve this and I am strong and you don't have power over me is is yeah. the only way that I've been able to kind of take myself out of that, oh, turn into 14-year-old Olivia, um, where I'm kind of like, oh, I just want to get this over with. Instead, now I, I want justice. It's not about just quitting because, I mean, I, I told them that last year and you can drag this out as long as you want. We're three years into this. I'm not going anywhere. You know, you're not going to get a plea deal. You're not going to yep. get me to walk away because it's inconvenient um, because that's what predators do. And then they get released and it's like, you know, this they count is. They on you not to, not, exactly. not to fight. Exactly. They want you to give up. They yeah. want you to walk away so that it's them against the justice system because it's a victim reliant justice system, unfortunately. And without a victim impact statement, there's not much they can do. And so I, I really do think it's, it's a game of, you know, All right. You know, we didn't make her mad enough last time. Let's let's (laughs) schedule it out another 30 days or let's uh, not show for this one. And and it gets to a point where you're like, is it worth it? But I know it is because I see so many women that never get the chance to prosecute their abuser or if they do, they get a slap on the wrist. They get a plea deal. They get you know, it, it doesn't. It's not true justice in my eyes, and so that's. No, why it's
0: absolutely me.
1: disgusting,
0: absolutely. and the fact that these people, these evil, wicked people in the world, are given so much courtesy yes. inside the system just shows how broken it truly is. Yes. Before we go down this road, because I <laughs> to go down this road no. mistake. Yes. Um, and, and without sharing too much, what did he do to you?
1: um well let's see honestly there was just there was a lot of physical and emotional contact for approximately four or five years um there was physical injuries at certain points um you know i it's so weird to say but it was a lot it was a lot of mostly it be started out the grooming phase was mental manipulation i mean i didn't know his age i thought his mother had died of cancer i thought he was helping take care of his baby sister, you know, it was things that he used yeah. that a 13 year old with a sweet heart is like, Oh my heart, you know? So yep. I had developed an, an emotional attachment through that, but he was also stalking me. He was showing up at my house when I stayed home from school sick and he knew I was home alone and following my mom and I through stores and things like that, where it was obviously not a typical relationship because this is also a grown man, but it was a very controlled Um, and, and I wasn't the only one he was doing it with, which is crazy to me. Um, I felt like my whole life was under inspection or under, uh, his guard almost. And, and it was for years and yeah. And so I remember once, uh, I will share this because I'm sure other women have gone through this with their abusers, where the physical contact we had, I actually bled, um, you know, four days and I called him, (laughs) I said what is this? You know, am I, am I okay? And that was my, I, I think back to that moment of running past my mom to go to the bathroom and then calling him, you know, and I'm thinking, what was I thinking at, at that phase? But I was so manipulated and so kind of brainwashed in the situation where I was afraid to go to anybody. I didn't think I could ask anybody besides him. And um, so I was just very trapped. And, and that's why I say like the, the woman who spoke up, uh, she wasn't a woman at the time she was still a child but you know she was 16 oldest of the all of us and and she saved my life because i was i was so stuck under the thumb of a physical abuser and i didn't even realize it really truly and so that took a lot of unpacking that took a lot of uh, relearning and at 16 going wait a minute i have no clue who this person was that i've i've been under the control of for five years you know it's 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 really it's really wild and also learning how I deserve to be loved and what's, what is abuse and what's wrong and what, you know, what are the signs and, and how can you avoid it or when to get away from it? Things like that. I don't think I knew that. And I just got sucked in.
0: Olivia, let me ask this because I think everything's a teaching moment. I'm not slamming your parents at all. I'm asking as a mom, what could your parents have done to make you feel
1: comfortable mm. to tell them and seek help from them? That is a great question, and this is something I've talked a little bit about that with them because I have two daughters, and, and you know wow. the day will come where there are people interested in dating them or talking to them. And I mean, even now, my daughter's six years old. You guys know what Roblox is, and yep. there's strangers trying to talk to her now, and so it, it's conversations that I have a lot. But I had parents who loved me very much, <laughs> but rolled with a with a, a iron fist, and so. They and I, I became. I don't know how to explain it, but you know, when you've been victimized, you're you're doing bad stuff. I mean, you're you're going to the wrong love. I I love the quote that says, "If you're not fed love on a silver spoon, you'll learn to look it from knives." And I think that that I felt that so deeply. I was going to all the wrong guys. I was trying to date grown men as a teenager. I was uh, talking to men on the internet, like all of this. But when they would catch me in in a in a problem uh they would i would be in a lot of trouble and i don't think they were able to separate the the fear from the frustration if you know what i mean and and to say to to me we love you so much we're so worried that these people are going to take you away or hurt you but instead it was you know you shouldn't do this and and i think that that just pushed me even further into it because then i really felt you know i can't go to them or i'm going to get in trouble for this if they find out i you know, did this, or I snuck out, Um, you know, the night that he really physically hurt me the most, I had snuck out that night and I had gone and gotten into his car willingly. And so to me, I, I had such a difficult time coming to them because I was afraid of getting in trouble, even though I was physically hurt, you know, I really needed care, but I was too afraid of them being upset or mad or frustrated or whatever, disappointed in me that I didn't. And so I would say for parents, it's just If you have to take a minute, you catch your kid in something, you're going through their phone and they're talking to a stranger, or maybe it's even an inappropriate conversation or naked pictures of themselves. Like that is a moment where you're never going to get that moment again with your child and you have to react in a way that they feel safe and they feel loved because otherwise they're going to think that you don't love them. One kids always figure out how it's their fault, how uh, they're the problem, things like that, you know, it's just nature. And so we have to tell these kids like, no, we love you. We want to protect you. We want to empower you when you get in a really, or you know, a conversation with a grown man and they say this phrase, that's when this person's being, a, you know, a predator. This is where we block them or report them. And this is how we can empower, you know, younger kids to maybe save other kids. You know, if I would have heard that language versus me being in trouble or me being bad, I think I would have escaped it a little bit earlier, if that makes sense.
0: You know, and this this comes back to something we've talked about so much is, you know, being proactive with your children. And I think parents are so afraid to have the hard conversations sometimes that they think it's just better to let their kids live in this innocent existence, yeah. but you're not doing your child any favors. If they don't know the dangers out there, how
1: can they protect themselves from those well, dangers? my parents she- are a bit older too, and so it's like they didn't know. Uh, you know so. the internet yeah. was new and so oh, i don't yeah, really, sure i think they did what they could but and when it comes down to that stuff i'm like they didn't know i was on omegle like video chatting with strangers at right. 3 in the morning they right. right. also they they didn't know to have that talk with me like you know like you just said where if they would have known they could have said hey i know your friends might do this but the people yeah. online are tricky you know that's what my daughter says she thinks that she worries about people on the internet being tricky trying to convince her to be friends they might buy her things on her game they might tell her nice compliments and then they trick you you know and then they try to take you away and so that's kind of conversations that you you have to build at an age-appropriate level but we don't even know all the dangers out there uh you know the different apps and games and things that our kids have access to that we have to protect them from
0: and and i think it's important that parents realize that danger you know is not it's not selective Anyone can fall victim. We drive this home all the time. I'm going to keep driving it home until people are tired of me saying this. And I'm going to say it 10 more times because your child is not immune to predators. No child out there is immune to predators. And if you are willing to have a conversation about how you can't play with knives at three years old because they'll cut you, you should be able to have a conversation about you can't talk to strangers online because they could take you. Yes. They can take you forever. Yes. And, and that is a conversation I have with my kids because I
1: want them to know and they get anxiety and and it worries them. And it's a little scary conversation. But that's why I, I always harp on in the empowerment aspect of it. Like, how do we make it something that they have power over, that they have control of instead of this can be done to you and you have no power over it and, and you'll never be able to stop it from happening because that just sounds terrifying. And But if you're like, hey, if you stop this, if you notice, if you can spot a tricky guy and you turn him in, then you're protecting your sister. You're protecting your friends yeah. at school. Yeah. You can't get to your friends now because you did the right thing and you took action to make a difference. And I think that that, like, my daughter gets excited. You know, she runs yeah. into somebody who yeah. shouldn't be on Roblox and she's like, yes, yeah. <laughs> turn him in. And and it's like,
0: yeah. I, uh, I love that it's just again every i feel like since i've started at the north group situational awareness has taken over my life right because if you apply it to every facet of your life you may not be able to prevent everything but you can
1: prevent a whole lot and yeah. so you know like or i be prepared for when things yes. as well like yes. you know knowing what's going to happen knowing how to react to it yeah and being prepared to react to anything at any time you know really like you said having your blinders off and actually being aware. And we talk about that even with with the physical dangers, especially as moms. You know, um, Ralph and I saw a woman with a baby strapped to the front, toddler in one hand, and as she walked past us, a man took a picture of her on his phone. And, you know, in our mind, instantly I'm thinking, he's just sent that photo to somebody in the parking lot La- he noticed she's not paying attention and he's gonna grab her you know yeah. and so we made a huge fit about it ralph made him pull his phone out and show us the photo to, like it really was just her and her kid and the we called security over and we made sure she got to her car and when i told her hey did you notice that there was somebody following you and they took a photo of you and that we made a scene and she said no she had no clue that had even happened and so it's like i know sometimes you know we like to put our headphones in or we like to scroll or talk on the phone while we're out but that's how people pan pick you. They're like, who's paying attention? Who's gonna notice if I start sneaking around? And and who's gonna react? And, and then they they're gonna go for an easier target. They don't want to find somebody who's gonna make a scene or cause a fight. Um, and so it's like you gotta make sure your awareness is always up.
0: One hundred percent. You know, we are here to to talk about human trafficking, stopping it. And and another you know, talking about the victim aspect of this, you know, I think it is so easy as society to say, well, there's more to it or, well, they made that choice because then, then we can put our head in the sand and not have to face the fact that evil is out there. And it's our, we each play a part in doing what we can to stop this, these bad things from happening. And here in the Seattle area, which is where I'm based out of, there is Highway 99. There's a stretch of it. And at any point of the day, there are women prostituting themselves on that road at any given hour. And my kids are like, oh, what is she wearing? And, you know, and, you know, and it's and and I have people, grown people that say, well, you know, she you know, she could stop. She's making that choice. I want to be very, very clear when we talk about victims just because that girl is standing there without someone holding her hand, forcing her to stand, that does not mean she
1: is of free
0: will. That Absolutely. does not mean.
1: We don't see her walk into her, her pimp's room and give him every dollar that she made that right. day. Right. And not get to walk out with a penny of it. We don't see her get beat up if she doesn't make her quota. You know, people don't like to think about the ugly side of it. And, and like you said, women, yeah, sometimes they make decisions out of survival instinct, out of I have no other option and there truly are women that get to that place. I was at that place. I felt like at 17 where I was like, I'm going to join the army or die, (laughs) you know? And so it's like, yeah, women make decisions that get them in places where they are victimized. And that's, that's how we have to look at it is where they're still being victimized, whether they signed up to be, you know, at a strip club or not. And a lot of the times I think that, that it can be tricky. It can be sneaky where, you know, with the human trafficking aspect of it, where, you may think you're dating somebody for a year. They may take care of you and do everything you could ever dream of and buy you everything you could ever dream of. And then suddenly when they have complete financial control over you, when they've cut you off of all of your friends or your family because they're, you know, they have problems with the personalities, all of a sudden you, they control your phone, your car, your money and you don't have a choice. And it's like, do I stay here or do I go to, a, you know, be homeless and things like that and so I think people really don't like to think about that aspect they think oh she's just making money with her body (laughs) it's like well probably not actually (laughs) you know yeah
0: yeah and i and i want i there are two things i want to touch on because i want you to i want to pick your brain i want you to explain it to people um and help us out with this the first one is You know, when you talk about this with people, they'll say, well, you know, some women get out and then
1: they go back to it. If they really hated it, they wouldn't go back to it. So Mm -hmm. can you speak to that? Absolutely. It's, um, you know, even just the example I just gave where we'll keep it simple, uh, which isn't usually the case, but keep it simple. She doesn't have any money. She doesn't have a car. Her Family hasn't talked to her in a year. She doesn't have any friends other than his friends. And they'll tell him, you know, where is she going to go? And if you thought, if you think to yourself, even just women in, in, um, you know, better situations where maybe they don't want to break up with their boyfriend because they don't want to leave. Like even in simple situations in life, you wouldn't jump out the door and, and flee with nothing. You know, you would try to come up with a plan. You would try to come up with a solution. But these women don't have those resources. They don't have access to the resources to be able to get out completely. And, you know, a lot of the times their trafficker has made them addicted to drugs, you know, use drugs to control them. So they may even have a drug problem that they can't afford or they can't detox on their own. Um, Other times they have a criminal history because they get picked up on prostitution, which is illegal, or they get picked up on driving the car, driving the girls. And most of the time there'll be no license and no insurance and no, you know, these kind of things because they don't care if the girls get in trouble. They, you know, the traffickers are never going to be the one driving the car because they don't want to get caught like that. And so a lot of the times you'll start to see a criminal history. So put on no money, nowhere to go criminal history no job experience other than stripping um maybe even can't read or you know in certain situations where they were trafficked very young their education level might be eighth grade you know things like that and so there's so many different layers to what prevents them from getting a better opportunity um, but i know women who call me and they need a, they need a way out and it takes me a month to find them a short-term stay to get into a long-term stay you know they don't have access to a computer which you have to apply (laughs) for long-term care you know they don't have somewhere safe to be or they need to detox from drugs because a lot of long-term care programs you can't have drugs in your system and so it's just there's so many steps that they've got to somehow accomplish on their own when they've never been taught how to do that and then all of a sudden it's like they have to save themselves or come up with some crazy idea that they've, you know, they've never thought of or thought possible. And we, we are talking about
0: abusive relationships. You know what you know. So some of these women think this is
1: love, right? This is. Maybe they never strong. even had anything better. Maybe right. they were targeted by the trafficker because they had a bad relationship with their family. And, you know, that's, a, They I hear the stories all the time, especially about kids who go online onto Facebook or onto You know reddit and they just say "Oh, i hate my mom and dad so much you know i hate my life here and that is like a sitting duck to a trafficker they just send a little dm like oh i get it i feel you let me buy you a video game to make you feel better like let's be friends let me talk to you and then you know they target kids that are like that and so you're right a lot of the times these women have probably already been abused by their family members or maybe by somebody else in their childhood and so they're just vulnerable to it they don't know that they deserve better Unless somebody is able to get to them and say, you are worthy of, of anything you can dream of, you know, absolutely anything. And here's the resources. Let me help you. Let me bring you a computer. Let me get you somewhere safe. You know, it really does take support and, and actual <laughs> encouragement and physically making a change for these women to, to be able to um, really get what they deserve.
0: You know, as is with anything in life, we can start to feel hopeless when we can't help. Right. So my question to you would be, you know, I was driving with my two daughters in the car and I'm in a not so great part of Seattle and I see a woman get out of the car. She walks two blocks. I'm going to get emotional because as a mom, I can't stomach it. Right. Like the fight in me wants to go rip the guy out of the car and bash his head in, you know, like that is the fighter in me. Yeah. And then the mom in me sees this woman in her twenties who she doesn't look healthy. I can see drug marks on her face and she is naked other than like a short coat. Mm-hmm. That's what she has on. And my kids are like, Oh, I can see yeah. you know, it on, you know, and I'm just like,
1: it's not like you can throw her in the car with you I, can't throw no. I want to throw her in the car but i can't because i have it's to not always my children and you don't know and, and if somebody really is on a lot of drugs or maybe they're really doctor, they're you know they can't you know you always have to be cautious especially when you have your own kids and right. so that's something that we totally feel too and so it's that's difficult you know i there's a lot of organizations, incredible organizations, that will actually go down, you know, downtown to the warming stations where you know you might find a fire or you might find a, a group of homeless people sitting together. Or uh, you know, you you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you gotta go out and go to where yeah. they are and bring yeah. information in small forms, so they're not gonna get in trouble for you know waving yeah. a red escape flag around. They they don't want their trafficker to see that. Um, And so that's another thing you also have to be worried that, you know, you can't interrupt their job, they're working or they're going to get in trouble. And so it's just being able to maybe in your area, if you can research some restorative care programs, women's programs, and I can always help with that. If anybody listening wants a good program or people who genuinely care and want to make a difference, I can help all over the nation. It's there's dedicated people that will drop what they're doing to really go and help and really go and sit with that person and have that conversation if they need to because sometimes that is what it takes is getting physically to them and being able to say like and honestly sometimes the first time they don't trust you anyway they're not going to they're not going to listen to you or, or go with you but yeah. if we can share the information and start the conversations either through social media or you know like i know a couple that would go to the strip club together and they would buy a girl's time. But while they're sitting with her alone, they're literally talking to her and telling her the options that she has. And maybe she can tell the other girls and things like that, which obviously can be dangerous, like I said, because traffickers don't want you messing with their payday. And so um, they don't want them getting out, honestly. And um, But just knowing the resources in your area or knowing people who can get help, because when that victim reaches out, it may be the only time they ever reach out. And it may be like a do or die kind of situation where they need somewhere to be now or, you know, their trafficker is going to find out or whatever it is. But honestly, most of the time we've only had if we have a victim reach out, we know that's the, that's the one time, you know, we have a chance to help. Um, and honestly, even sometimes then it doesn't doesn't get to the completion, <laughs> you know, it doesn't really get to the full help because the process is, is, is strained and uh, not what it should be. Um, and so, uh, you know, honestly, sometimes I'm having a girl move domestic violence shelter to domestic violence shelter to domestic violence shelter while she waits for her application process, while she detoxes, you know, and it, it's triggering and it's, she's calling me, these girls are beating each other up. These girls are stealing each other's stuff. And my trafficker drove around the block three times and, you know, things are, are really scary to them. And, and so sometimes they'll, they'll run, you know, they'll go, okay, this system is not helping me. This system is not here to help me. And they'll go again. Um, but just knowing that you can be there and you can actually be prepared for a reach out or, or or knowing how to help and knowing who to call, um, because you don't want to (laughs) waste, you know, a week trying to find the right person to help. You want to know who in your area is really going to be able to go help this person.
0: I want to kind of, you know, talking about the need for help and what it actually looks like and what it actually takes. And this is not a slam on any of our police departments, you know, law enforcement, all on my mom's side, I have the utmost respect for day in and day out what they do and I couldn't do it and I'm so glad and thankful they can. But the bottom line is I know that the task force that handles 99 is so incredibly strapped, yes, undermanaged, understaffed. I mean, how how do we adequately begin to fight this through our criminal justice system is it possible
1: that's a great question and i will say again, i am totally pro-law enforcement pro the the system you know we need to have systems we need to have law enforcement um i think there's a huge issue with lack of resources and funding for law enforcement because i know there's stacks of you know um projects right. yeah yeah but, and then it also comes down to Say you say you figure out who that guy who that girl's being trafficked by, but maybe he's not trafficking a bunch of girls, maybe it's just one or two. Like that's not as big or as important to the state as this guy who's trafficking a hundred women. So a lot of the times, you know, they really do focus on certain cases, but honestly, um, that's something that we want to impact through ZFIS. And I know a lot of other organizations do, where say I see an arrest and they arrested two individuals out of a you know, for trafficking. I know there's a lot of other individuals that are making that criminal organization operate, logistically, financially, any of those things. And so I can look into this group, look at what properties they own, uh, what businesses they're registered to, uh, if if they have shell companies, if they have any illicit activity that I can prove through investigative services, I can compile into a report and turn into law enforcement with the sources cited, with the documents attached. So all they literally have to do is follow a link Confirm the data is accurate, and then they're able to move a lot faster. Versus, they get a call, they have to do surveillance for this long, they have to do this or that. They're restricted on, you know, researching and things like that because that that's just not a tool of the, you know, the police as much as it is civilian market or, um, you know, the three-letter agencies. And so, uh, we try to apply that. And and honestly, half the time, my goal is not even to get somebody for human trafficking because that's difficult. Um, But they're probably laundering money. They're probably avoiding taxes and they probably have RICO Act violations. And so typically we kind of go after those easier to prosecute and and then, you know, (laughs) attach the human trafficking at the bottom. Like, yeah, by the way, they're doing this too, but I know this is a lot easier to do. And so we call it putting the cookies on the bottom shelf and giving it to law enforcement so they're able to, um, you know, see big picture. Because like I said, that one time they arrest two people. And that's amazing and great but they don't realize that half of their like their relatives also live in the in the area and they're still running the business and the girlfriend owns the property where they were conducting business out of and so like why isn't she arrested um yeah. and so there's just a lot of ways where i think we need to like everybody always says follow the money but also widen the view like don't just look at the one guy who's a bad guy you need to be doing network analysis like who is funding these people, (laughs) right? Where are they conducting business? Is it rented? Is it owned? Like who sold it to them? How much did they buy it for? Blah, 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 blah. Shell companies, political ties. Like we need to actually be aware of full picture of who these people are and then try to go after multiple things so that they can really be, you know, it can be an easy conviction versus our law enforcement being exhausted and, and underfunded and understaffed and having to deal with all of these issues um, when honestly, a lot of it's not in front of them. It's all online, it's all, you know, in wraps. And yeah, of course you can see an illicit massage parlor or you can see, uh, like you said, a woman who's being prostituted but it's a little bit easier to prove money laundering. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, Honestly, it's like way faster, easier to, to look for alternative methods of disruption. That's what we call it, we'll disrupt them. I love it, I love you. You got an attorney? Mm, I'm going to turn the the attorney and the attorney's probably a bad guy too. (laughs) Now we can defend them. Like just coming up with ways to really make it difficult for them to continue to operate. Cause you can take one guy out and they'll replace them in a second. Or again, one girl as well, you know, that's nothing to them. It's just call the next and, and continue to do what they're doing or open a new one, a new place, whatever it is. Um, But I think we should just focus on, I know everybody wants to focus on prevention and focus on, uh, empowering women to not become vulnerable to this and to avoid it, and know what to look for, and know uh, the resources available, and um, and I think law enforcement, you know, they get they get uh, heat for calling, you know, their missions a rescue, which I believe that is a rescue, but there's also so many other steps to it, and, and just getting out of the situation is is um, it's not going to support them or help them. But if we could all work on a, on a one team, one fight basis where we're actually here to support each other and partner and all of our nonprofits and organizations um, reach out to law enforcement and say, when you have a, a victim come in, um, please let me know and, and I'll get her care. You know, there's there's not a lot of that. It's just kind of a lot of everybody headbutting and, and trying to say, I'm doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing like we all are, but we need to do it together yeah. and support each other's missions to, to really be effective.
0: You know, I'm I'm sitting here thinking about you know preventative measures. And I know that like at my daughter's school, they have the safe touch program, right? Oh, Where they teach you like what a safe touch is, what not a safe touch is. Yes. I would really love in every school when they're teaching sex ed to also teach a this is what healthy relationships look like. Absolutely. This is what love looks like. This is is what manipulation looks yes. like. This is what forced love Absolutely. looks like you know and I think that if we can if we can come at it like that and get everyone on board with that, I mean I think we would nip so much of it from yeah. from jump, you know because we're already do I feel like there are so many efforts out there now we are pushing online safety, mm-hmm. don't talk in chat rooms don't I know it's still happening way too yeah. much. But at least the effort to get it out there Mm -hmm. is very apparent to me. And and people are pushing that. I don't hear the conversation being pushed as much about teaching young women what love looks like. And I'm sorry, but women are more victimized than men. And I think that I I would love to see a focus on young women.
1: And, And honestly, how to get out. You know, okay, so you realize you're in a bad place. Or for example, you've been married to somebody for six years and they just hit you for the first time where maybe they've been aggressive before, but they had not gone that far. And so now you're like, well, now I'm, now I'm tied in, now I'm stuck. Um, and they don't know what to do. And so I think it would be, and actually we talk about that a lot with like the Relentless Revival social media, which if anybody wants to help me with social media, (laughs) uh, content, um, yeah, I will help you. Uh, and I think it would be fun, um, just to create a lot of conversation, like exactly like you just said, like, when is this turning into manipulation? When is this turning into exploitation? When is it? um, And what do I do now if I realize I am there? Um, Because I know, like you said earlier, you feel stuck, you feel stuck. And sometimes you even go into survival mode where you might not, you might not even be trying to get unstuck. You're just like, I'm just going to survive the day. I'm going to get through the week. And weeks turn into months, months turn into years. And all of a sudden, you're in a place that you've been for far too long and you don't know how to get out and you don't have the resources. And so um, I think changing those conversations would absolutely. And honestly, I see a lot of organizations kind of um, and this takes this takes some guts because uh, they're mostly run by former Johns, which if you don't know. The term is a sex buyer. And so I've met quite a few men who have realized the wrongs in their ways because they learned about what human trafficking is and realize it's not just somebody trying to make a couple bucks, it's actually somebody being victimized. And I'm victimizing her by doing this. Um, and so they go out and teach men like, cause men, we have to think that they just don't know better. And so they, choose, they don't do better. Um, for example, I think of when I was in the army, I was in Hawaii, of all places you'd think they would be letting us know about trafficking or letting us know about prostitution. Friday night safety brief, they're like, don't get hookers, they're dirty. And I'm like, that's not, that's not, that's not good. Like they don't care. Like you're, you're just making the guys want to go more. They're like, oh, I want to see it. But if you were to tell them you're victimizing somebody, they wouldn't want to do it. They wouldn't want to, you know, they, I, I I like to think, especially in the service that most people have the heart to not want to harm others. And if they just don't even know what they're doing, then how can we expect them to change or do better? Um, So I think it's awesome that there's kind of a bit of that conversation going on as well, where maybe you are victimizing somebody. Are you exploiting or manipulating somebody? And, you know, um, having that kind of guy to guy conversation sometimes um, helps as well. And we reduce the supply, reduce the demand, you know, uh, eventually we'll be able to make an impact.
0: You know, you briefly mentioned Project ZF and everything that is going into it, the the facility and everything. I haven't gotten an update in a while. Can I want to focus on this for a little bit. So tell me what's going on. Tell, you know, the audience member that doesn't know anything. Let, let's talk about this.
1: Okay. Well, ZFIS is kind of my side of the house, my baby. So I'll talk about that first. Um, we do protective intelligence, which, as you know, is a super vague term that means a lot of things. But- <laughs> Um, A lot of the times, and we've we've recently been able to jump into a couple of projects that are actually impactful. You know, I I can run background checks all day and I can do vulnerability assessments and, and cybersecurity and things like that. But I love when I get a reach out that says, hey, I've got a bad guy. You know, I've got this network or criminal organization I need to know more information about. Or even somebody who's been wronged. You know, that's what I love to work on where, you know, maybe they invested a bunch of money into somebody and that person ran off with it. Um, and I get to dig into that, and I get to create something that will, you know, make an impact and, and help people who have been wronged. Um, and so we've actually been working on some really fun projects. I can't say names, but we've got a. It will soon be, pretty good news. Um, very large organization. It's existed for you know forty years, and they've been exploiting children the whole time. And because they have so much money, because they have a nice reputation, you know, on the surface level, they've been getting away with it because. I try to tell people you think somebody else will do something about it. They won't. You know, everybody thinks that. And so we we are the people that see something and then actually do something and that's why some of our apparel actually says see something say something because yeah. I think, you know, what you think about when you drive by somebody whose tires blown out half the time you're like, Well, ah, somebody else will pull over and help them." But honestly, it's like I don't think so in this kind of space. And so um, we are the people that see something and say something and and do something about it and Um, Support law enforcement because, you know, we know that they deserve the support and um, things like that. And then tactical training center. Um, when, When we really started building this out about a year ago, we focused on building the dream team. Um, that's what we call them. But our, our board is uh, Mark Eckerd. He is a recently retired Command Sergeant Major. Mm-hmm. And we have Dean and Alana Stott. Um, we, we always say they're more of a British based celebrity face, but soon to be in the US as well. Um, Dean was British SBS. He got injured in duty, actually. And once he left, him and his wife raised over a million dollars for charity by biking, I think it was 14,000 miles. <laughs> Tip of North America to South America broke the record by I think 17 days, and um, they were like, "You cheated!" <laughs> you know, you had to because you did so good, and he proved he didn't. But uh, and last but not least is Lee Ogden. Um, he's really been our day one since you know he yeah, yeah. we met for lunch in the woodlands stayed for eight and a half hours you <laughs> know instant click yeah. so yeah. Um, and Lee is just uh, so many incredible things, um, but currently residing in Mexico and, and running the kindness games, as you know. And um, Lee is how you and I met. So yes, yes exactly. Yes. Uh, Lee is exactly. how I have met most of the great people <laughs> that I'm. With. He has a he has a niche for being like I'm not going to tell you why, but you're going to have a call with this person, and yes, I'm call he is. it
0: always ends up flawless. Ultimate connector.
1: Yes. Ultimate connector, ultimate, uh, you know, he's just uplifting and inspiring and keeps us going like keeps us motivated. And, um, so that was our, our big focus there. Um, and obviously we're working towards property, property purchase. That's, um, next step. Uh, once that occurs, Ralph dreams of putting up his hammock with a box of beer and <laughs> clearing out the land for the next month. And, um, but then, uh, once that happens, the Tactical Training Center and the Safe Haven, we plan to construct them simultaneously. Uh, the Safe Haven, we've kind of developed a relationship. I'll, I'll shout them out here because they're really cool. Um, they're called the Green Magic Homes. They look like hobbit houses, um, from, <laughs> which is, they're just, they're adorable. But they're also very yeah. eco-friendly, and they're actually cheaper than just a stick build tiny home. Um, so that's the plan, uh, community farm and garden. Um, And then our program will be 18 to 24 months of specialized therapy for trauma and addiction, uh, animal assisted therapy, art therapy, and then economic empowerment through guided networking, um, career coaching, and internships that we are kind of building up with different organizations and different industries. Um, And so that's kind of where we're at. And right now, while we don't have a facility, we do a lot of advocacy work, you know, we arrange the care, we help get the help that women need or get the resources to them buy the luggage whatever is needed for them to get that fresh start and get the support that they truly need Um, we are planning our first fundraiser um, which all the proceeds are going to go to the nonprofit. she is a 501c3 veteran owned Um, but really really our focus is to get everybody together for that event because you lee everybody is across the world you know all of our supporters and people who get our vision um, are are everywhere. So we dream of the night. We all get to sit, you know, at one table and and really connect and really talk. Um, so that's the plan. We'll have live music and when is this? This is going to be October. I want to say twelfth. <laughs> I'll confirm that date for you. But it's where do
0: on- people go for more
1: information? Yes, they can go to my LinkedIn um, or email me. Um, I'm really active on LinkedIn though. We always joke, my husband has the Wish app version of my (laughs) LinkedIn because he's not as active, Um, but uh, (laughs) that's where you can get get a hold of me. And um, yeah, we we like to chat. And I and Ralph and I, we've said it a couple of times during the chat, like we are about community and we're all on the same team. And I think we would all be stronger to get together. And since we've entered this space, especially the anti-human trafficking space, there's an odd like head like, everybody's in competition almost, and I and I get it with, like, the grant money and, like, the donors, like, nobody wants to lose that to somebody else, but like, we've, we've honestly built all three businesses and Project ZF in the way that our revenue will fund our charity long-term, so we don't have to depend on grants, because we see incredible organizations go for 13 years, lose a grant, and have to shut down, um, but we just, I just want all organizations to know, like, we're not competition, you know, we yeah. want to support, we want to get you connected to the connections we have or to law enforcement or to to victim resources or whatever it might be that we can actually help people together across the world um, and make a difference. So love to chat on LinkedIn and connect people. Obviously, Lee's rubbed off on me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will tell you, I'm just so impressed with you and what you're doing because, you know, it's one thing to talk the talk. It's another thing to do it actively. I know this is such this is so exciting, but I know how much work this is. And and I just I appreciate that. I appreciate you. And, and I just wish you all the best. And of course, we're going to be in touch. But yes. I wish you not only all the best with your project, but I wish you all the best with your personal journey, because you continue to fight the fight on so many levels for yourself. To protect other people and just anti-trafficking, you know, at large. And I'm just, I'm better to know you, and I appreciate your time.
1: So thanks for coming on, Olivia. Thank you so much. I, I really truly appreciate it. And, and I, I I've told you this before, but I think this was all put in my life for a reason. And I think I'm being prepared for my purpose uh, in, in a really deep way. And so, um, I, I look for the goodness. I look for the a lesson in each moment and how can I apply this to, to help others in my life? Because that honestly brings me joy. If you know what I mean? Like it's, that's yes. what fulfills me is when somebody else's life is better. Um, and so that's um, where we get our joy. And I know you feel the same way. You're the same kind of person where, you know, you make somebody else happy and you're like, yes, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yes, yes. You got to yeah. do your part. Yeah, absolutely. But it was amazing to talk and I, I look forward to follow on conversation and, um, we need to chat more on, on preventing this from happening and to, you yep. know, steps so we can take to make a difference.
0: All right, Olivia, thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening or watching. And for more episodes of our podcast, Time to Head North, just head to TNGdefense.com under the podcast section. There, are, We've had so many great conversations. Um, over the past two years um, or so. And, and I just, you know, I'm sure we'll have you on again cause I'm going to want an update and <laughs> I, I really am hoping somehow by the grace of God, I can make the fundraiser. So yes, I'd love to have you guys. It's <laughs> going to be a really good time. All right. Thanks everyone. Have a great day.